Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Science Faction. The only show where a scientist, a comedian, and a comedian scientist come together to discuss science. Comedically. Hello, and welcome to Science Faction's special message. So, I regret to inform you that you won't be hearing the planned show today. Those of you who listened to last week's episode know that Damien had his nose surgery scheduled last week, and we thought he would be well and done by the time we were recording. We thought he would be just fine. In fact, he he thought he would be just fine the day of, and just it unfortunately turned out that his recovery was much more difficult than anticipated. And he had a follow-up procedure on the day we were supposed to record it, and it left him just like totally unable to podcast, super fucked up the whole nine yards. Now, he's gonna be fine. He has not suffered some major health issue or anything, and he is on the mend and will likely be back for next week's normal time, but his recovery is obviously a little slower than anticipated, so feel free to go over to his Facebook page and give him some love, and we extend our apologies for not being able to record our normal episodes, both the regular and the Patreon for this week. Now, we did have shows written for both the main feed and the Patreon this week, and we will either scrap them or we'll record them as next week's episode or something, maybe we'll release them separately on Patreon. In the interim, for today, I was just going to give you this message, but I realized this is actually a really good opportunity to take the chance to address some of the feedback we've been getting on our Change Your Mind episodes, which unexpectedly blew up. And which, by the way, despite extending into a second episode, we still did not make it through almost half of the show outline. So there's still more to say on that topic. And I still want to have bigger discussions, including with Damien and with other people, bring some conservatives in, the whole nine yards. But first, I wanted to address a few things. Firstly, thank you so much for everyone who reached out to me about this episode, who did it so respectfully, regardless of any objections you had, which was like almost all of you. I was only like one or two angry people. But Honestly, I am shocked at how nice a lot of you guys are in your communication, considering you listen to two assholes like me and Damien all the time. Uh, but a lot of good points were brought up that I want to be able to address. And you know what? Here we are. We don't have an episode to do. We might as well address them. So one comment I got a few times is that I was making a false equivalency between political sides left and right, ignoring facts that don't suit them or ones that compete against their own internal narratives. And fans very rightly pointed out things like the erosion of reproductive rights, which I will get to in a few minutes, and other issues that show a big discrepancy in the consequences of actions of either side. So they're not the same. It would be a false equivalency. That was the, I got, I got that email a few times. And by the way, if that was the point I was making, I totally agree. If you thought I was making an equivalency of outcomes, then you would be absolutely correct in calling it a false equivalency. However, I have to say, those of you who said this very respectfully, you misinterpreted what I was saying. I was not making an equivalency of outcome. I think I, I actually even said that a few times. I'm not making that case that the outcomes of both sides are equivalent because of that illogical thinking. I don't presume that both sides do illogical, immoral, or irrational things that cause equal harm. The issue is that both sides engage in the same echo chamber, fact denial, special pleading that lead them to the wrong conclusions. Both sides, or more accurately, individual people that make up these sides can be perfectly rational actors in everyday life, willing to admit mistakes, all of that, while still making illogical, unreasonable, and immoral decisions based on an unwillingness to go against tribal ideals or what you view is your people, what you view is 
good. Individuals from both sides downplay their own transgressions while highlighting those of the opposite side. Both sides engage in special pleading, whether it's the example of the black incarceration rates versus white incarceration rates being a problem while men versus women incarceration rates are somehow not a problem, or you know, the opposite side where like abortion is the greatest evil known to man and must be stopped at any cost possible, but not if it means sex ed and birth control. And individuals from both sides can do this while being completely uncritical of themselves and those on their side. Yes, absolutely. Outcomes of those actions can and will be different. There's almost no way they would ever balance out equally. But that's a non sequitur to the point. And it's also probably one of those unconscious defense mechanisms we use to explain away why it's okay for us to be in contradiction in our values and beliefs. So the reason it's a non sequitur is individuals tend to view themselves as rational, moral actors while decrying those who they view as the other side for their irrational, immoral actions and somehow rationalizing making the exact same mistakes as being okay with excuses like, the outcomes are different, so it must be a false equivalency. The outcomes of those mistakes are certainly worth considering. Those are real world consequences. But claiming that the other guy's math is wrong because he thought two plus two equals six, because you're sure two plus two equals five, doesn't make your mistake better or different. You may be closer to the correct answer, but the fact remains both of you are doing math incorrectly. Both of you are wrong. And pointing to his six doesn't make your five any different. Both of you are getting wrong answers and pretending the other guy is an idiot while not applying that same label to yourself makes you a hypocrite. If you aren't willing to confront, criticize, and abandon bad ideas from your own side, from what you believe is your own side, from your deeply held beliefs, then you have no right to ask the other side to do so. You can't sit there and demand one political group hold themselves accountable to logic and reason and abandon the irrational sides of the debate if you have not taken the first step to do the same. The consequences might not be the same. In fact, they'll never be the same. But faulty reasoning is exactly the same. And you you are no more entitled to special pleading than the other side. We excuse ourselves or our perceived side or make exceptions for our own actions that we wouldn't do for anyone else. And that is in its essence, special pleading. And it's a psychological mechanism we use to continue having incorrect ideas, illogical thoughts and immoral actions. And that's the whole point. The way people maintain irrational, illogical beliefs that become immoral actions is by thoughtlessly excusing themselves and their beliefs from criticism, the same criticism they would apply to the other side. It's by imagining the other side is making the mistakes, but not honestly accounting for the same type of mistakes in one's own thinking. Now, I know some of you might be going like, well, wait, illogical, that doesn't mean immoral, but a lot of times it does. I want you to think right now of any particular individual in your life. Now, imagine you and that person strongly disagree about something objective and provable that both of you felt absolutely certain of. Think of somebody in your life that this would be very difficult for. Now, imagine after your spirited debate, you show the other person absolute undeniable proof of their own mistake. Think in your mind, think of an individual, an individual person you know. How quickly does that person admit they were wrong? When their ego's involved, they swore up and down they were right. How quickly do they admit they're wrong? 
How much accountability do they take for the steadfastly fighting for an incorrect idea? Do they just go, oh, well, I was wrong and then move on? Or do they go, man, I'm really sorry. I, I was really assertive and I was clearly wrong and that makes me a fucking asshole. I'm, so, I'm sorry. Do they breeze over it or do they accept responsibility? How much resistance do you see as they have to concede the point? Are they pissed about it? Are they crossing their arms? Are they, well, I don't know about Nature Magazine being a real source. Like how much resistance do they have right now? You as an individual, you listening to this show, you can all probably think of people that this would be a pretty easy task with. You would say it and the other guy would be like, oh, you're right. The 85 Bears did win. Way to go. Okay, I'm so sorry, man. That that was my bad. I, I must have gotten it mixed up in my head. You're right. And then there'll be another guy that goes like, I don't know about Wikipedia. I don't think that's right about Super Bowl wins. They probably got this one wrong. Or, eh, what's the big deal? Or, Hey, man, what kind of loser has to come up and show me this later on? That type of resistance. I want you to think about that right now. Think about those individuals, the ones that provide that type of resistance. Now, how does that feel in your head? Imagine you have to go have this discussion with that person. You have to talk about this issue that they were wrong about. You know you're going to take a bunch of shit from their resistance that they are automatically going to put up anytime they are confronted with being wrong. How likely are you, thinking of this person, how likely are you now to confront that pulling teeth to get them to admit they're wrong person? And how do you feel about it? How much damage, how much anxiety, how much everything does it do? How much does it screw up your life when you have to confront people like this about being wrong? That is the point. While this is a common thing and we see people along a spectrum of severity doing this, you know, being illogical, irrational, being unable to change their mind, getting their ego involved, the inability to change your mind and to admit being wrong, to humbly acknowledge that what you were so sure about was totally incorrect, that's an inherently immoral and selfish act. It does harm. You doing that, you having that type of personality, you having that type of action towards being proven wrong, that is you being a fucking asshole. And if you can't fix it, you are being an immoral asshole to everybody in your life. Before anyone starts talking to Damien about this, this has nothing to do with Damien. This is not him. He is actually an incredibly quick person to change his mind. In fact, I thought he was the best example because he is the fastest person I know to change his mind on individual things he's wrong at on, but much slower, obviously, when it is a group dynamic. So don't think I'm talking about Damien when I'm talking about this. That tribalism that, um, that immediately makes us think something is different when we do it or when it happens to group X instead of group Y, that resistance we have to changing our ideas and taking real accountability for previously supporting false ideas, that's how larger ideologies can make otherwise good, honest, normal people into moral monsters. Moral monsters who don't even realize they're doing it. And it gets compounded because we tend to inherently believe things that support our worldviews just innately and inherently be skeptical of things that go against them. And I am not immune. I want to give you guys an example that's literally unfolding by the hour right now. I'm recording this today on Wednesday, October 12th. As of yesterday, a very interesting piece of news came out about a very famous true crime case about a gentleman named Anan Syed who you might remember from the Serial podcast. It was basically the first gigantic podcast and it made true crime and blah, 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 blah. I have been convinced from the moment I heard that podcast that that guy is 100% guilty. 
There are multiple reasons that I believe that. I could get down into the technical specifics. This isn't a true crime podcast. There are things that make absolutely no sense. On the day his ex-girlfriend, who he later goes to jail for her murder, uh, on the day she is murdered, he just so happens to, quote unquote, give his cell phone and car. This is 1999, by the way, when a cell phone was a huge deal. He gave his cell phone and car to a guy he says was just a casual acquaintance, not a great friend, to go, quote unquote, buy a Valentine's Day present for his girlfriend. He then later is heard by other people supposedly trying to get into his ex-girlfriend's car where she is later killed. And and it's just the statistical likelihood of that. Have you ever lent your car or cell phone to anybody? No, your closest friend? No, never. I would never do that. Why did you leave it to this guy you claim you weren't that close friends with? Well, I don't know. I wanted him to get a Valentine's Day present for his girlfriend. Oh, so the thing you've never done before that is part of the murder of a person you know that your friend does not know. It just so happens that on the day you did this thing you've never done before and admit is illogical and have no reason to do, it just so happens that's the day your ex-girlfriend friend gets murdered. Oh, and by the way, that guy who you lent your car to later says he helped you bury the body and leads police to the body. Uh, you're fucking guilty. Like, I'm, so, I'm sorry, you're guilty. There was also elements of it where they interviewed him and where they talked about, uh, you know, trying to get him off and stuff. And he very much came off as a defensive guilty person. Now, as a background, uh, as most of you guys know, I grew up and still am on the spectrum. And as such, I always had a really hard time reading people. Things didn't make sense to me. Fucking literature didn't make sense to me. I couldn't understand why characters in books did things because their actions didn't make sense because I am a person who naturally doesn't understand the way people think in the way that most neurotypical people do just inherently without even thinking about it. I just don't get that the same way. And that led me to spend a decent part of my late teens and early 20s really studying human behavior from, you know, actually pursuing an undergrad psychology degree and, and uh, you know, doing volunteer psychology experiments and all that kind of stuff. I was very interested in it. And I also studied people very, very carefully. And eventually I noticed that I got pretty good at telling when somebody was lying, when somebody was being untruthful, when something was up with them. And I realized it was a lifetime of not being able to read people that made me categorically, systematically sit down and do what comes naturally to other people. And I don't know if this is true or not, but I have an inherent belief that that tends to make me better at it. And I tend to be able to tell when people are lying better or bullshitting me or something better. Now, maybe that's a false illusion. And maybe that is also, maybe my ego is in this now with the Adnan Syed thing where now I, I believe I, I can tell he's guilty and logically the stuff that he's saying and the story doesn't make any sense for an innocent person. There's no rational way this makes sense. Well, he was released earlier this month from prison. He wasn't released because they found evidence he was innocent. He was released on a technicality. He was released on a Brady violation, which is that they looked back and they found in prosecutor's notes that there was information that had not been given to the defense that could have been used as tools for the defense to help. That in no way means he's innocent. That just means that this was a very popular case and he got let off because the prosecutor made a mistake. It's a loophole. It's a technicality. However, I have been in an ongoing debate with the host of cult podcast, Paige Wesley, who believes he is innocent. Very friendly debate. I want to make sure this is clear. I love Paige. Uh, she's fantastic. And we are just on opposite sides of this. And yesterday she she texted me while I was at work and I, I was in front of a computer and she said, hey, did you hear they, they got DNA in his case and it excludes Adnan? Now, that might be 
be a bit of an overstatement. It turns out they have some touch DNA on some shoes that the girl wore, and it is not his, but all that means is somebody else touched the girl's shoes. It doesn't mean he is necessarily innocent. But I did not know this at the time. So at the time, when when Paige tells me they have DNA, I think they have, like, semen from somebody else. And then she said, yeah, and they have a, a serial killer in custody, and it might match him. So my mind is blown at this point because I am hearing a pretty definitive answer. They have DNA. Again, I misinterpreted it. I thought they had semen DNA in this person and it belonged to a serial killer and blah, blah, blah. I have my ego behind this. I have my strongly held beliefs. I even look at the pictures of this guy getting released from prison and go, that's a guilty dude getting released from prison. That is not the way an innocent person gets released. But regardless, I heard that and it was so difficult to get that information and change my mind. But you know what? The second I did, I felt fantastic because I could just sit there and now figure out the mystery of who actually did this. I could have truer beliefs. I could get to the actual honest answer. If they have DNA that says somebody else did it, I want to know who did it. I want to know the whole story. I want to know what the fuck was going on with this other guy and the one in a billion shot that he lent his car and his phone to the guy who could lead him to the body later on on the one day that his ex-girlfriend dies. Like, I want to know all of that. Now, As we are right now, this is a weird limbo zone. We actually don't know what the touch DNA is, whose it is yet As at the time of this recording. If it comes back, if that touch DNA, even though it's on the shoes or whatever, that touch DNA comes back to one of those killers, I don't care if it's not semen. I was wrong. That serial killer is the one who killed her. Absolutely. And this was a very strongly held belief that I have. However, again, if you show me semen DNA comes back, if you even show me touch DNA on those shoes come back to a known serial killer, fuck it. That's the guilty person, not Anon. And I will yell that from the rooftops. As I told Paige, if like this DNA comes back, I will eat my hat on that. But there is still a twinge. I'm not gonna pretend like I'm some Terminator that doesn't, you know, have these same weaknesses. There is a twinge of ego stabbing in that where I'm like, how could I possibly be so wrong? How could I read this guy so wrong? How is this nonsensical story even possibly true? Like it doesn't make any sense to me. But if the facts are the facts then I need to change my beliefs to fit them and not the other way around. And I've had these beliefs changed before. I used to have a really strong belief in the notion of punishment being very, very important for learning. And maybe it is, but more and more results show that it is not. And it's actually detrimental and that we've been raising children wrong for a long time. And I try and use that to do a better job raising my children. I've been incredibly wrong before, very famously on on my other podcast, The Degenerates, Uh, Right as COVID was hitting, I said, you know what's interesting, guys, Uh, out of all this stuff that's going on with COVID, you know, science, I studied conspiracy theories, obviously, in, in graduate school. And I said, you know, this is the prime ingredients for a conspiracy theory. We have big global things caused by little tiny things that affect everybody's life and that seem mysterious and hard to understand. We should have a ton of COVID conspiracy theories. I'm so shocked I haven't heard many of them yet. So again, you you can't get more wrong than that. And when it comes to COVID itself, I think those of you guys who were listening during COVID know I put out a COVID episode every single week. I read literally every single published COVID article in a major journal that came out in that period. I was reading 100 plus scientific papers on COVID per week. Anything that could come out, I was reading. But even I got things about COVID wrong. I was still worried about COVID being transmittable outdoors at the time and wearing a mask outdoors. And now we think, eh, that's probably not the case. By the way, 
that might not be the case any longer because COVID has gotten so much more contagious with each successive thing that Omicron is now about as infectious as the measles and might actually get you while you're outdoors just hanging out with people. But at least at the time, I was out there wearing a mask, you know, passing 10 feet away from people outside and, you know, kind of concerned if they weren't wearing a mask. And it turns out that was a wrong concern to have. And looking back at that and the data now, I can say that and abandon the ego behind it. If you want to think of broader things, something that I was very, very wrong about, or at least I now feel I was wrong about, it's not necessarily an objective thing, is I used to, for a period of my life, be a very strong libertarian. That was my political viewpoint. Governments stay out, let everybody do whatever the fuck they want, all drugs legal, no seatbelts, blah, 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 blah. And that slowly started eroding away. I still remember making the case of, why do we have a law that says you have to wear a seatbelt? I should be able to die if I want to. And then somebody pointed out, uh, hey, if you get in a car wreck at 60 miles an hour, you're driving, you, somebody hits you, you fly out of your seat. Now your car is just a missile shooting down the road with no driver in it, and you can kill somebody else. This isn't about you, you selfish prick. You have a responsibility the second you sit behind that wheel to not crash that car, and that includes wearing your seatbelt. So if you get in one accident at 60 miles an hour, you don't get another one uh, after your body gets thrown across the car. And I had to sit there and concede and be like, fuck, that's right. Okay, okay, okay. But but if I'm in the car and I'm not driving, well, then I don't have to wear a seatbelt. That'd be crazy. And then somebody goes, listen, you selfish prick. If you're in the car and not driving and somebody hits you while you're going 40 miles an hour and they're going 60 miles an hour, your big ass body is going to go flying through that car and likely impact the driver's ability to keep out of a secondary accident. And I realized, fuck, you're right. And the more I got into it, the more I realized there was no scenario where you could just be outside of society that really works. I mean, anthropologically speaking, that was never the case. There are no lone wolves when it comes to humans. We are all in groups or we die. That's why ostracism is so damaging to us psychologically, because it used to mean death. And my views, which I was a very strong libertarian, I can't put this enough, I'm very embarrassed about it, but I was incredibly into that mindset. And as those ideas started slowly eroding away, it left me open to have, you know, a gestalt switch, a perspective switch that totally took me off that line that I'd been on for a long time, by the way. I, I very strongly considered myself, that was part of my identity, right? And then somebody said one thing to me that I allowed to really sink in when they said, you're a libertarian. And I said, proudly, yep, yep. Yeah, even though I had my doubts at the time. Yep, yep, absolutely. And they said, okay, great. Um, can you give me an example of like a libertarian society like one you would like to live in? And I was like, well, what do you mean? They're like, well, just around the world, you know, point to a government that you believe is follows the way people should do stuff uh, so that I could see what it looks like when people do that, when people have a libertarian government. And I was like, oh, you know, I had no true Scotsman fallacy of, well, there is no no real libertarian government. They don't really let people. And they said, well, what about Somalia? There's no government in Somalia. At the time, that was true. There's no government in Somalia right now. That's pretty libertarian. You can do whatever you want. And I was like, well, yeah, but you wouldn't want that. And they said, why not? Isn't that what, no government? And I thought, well, that's not a perfect analogy. I'm not saying no government. I'm saying, saying less government. And they said, oh, okay, less like a step above Somalia. And I was like, no, well, that doesn't seem right. And they said, okay, can you tell me a successful version in history? And I couldn't think of one. And so they had two parts to this. Well, the first part was they said, well, how do you know it'll ever work? And I realized, fuck, a lot of people have tried this and it's never worked. And then they said, well, 
what is the closest we can get? If the closest we can get is Somalia, and I would disagree, I'd be like, no, 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 I want small government, but not no government, small government, low taxes, you know, let's let's not do Somalia, let's do something else. And they said, okay, well, well, what's the opposite of what you're thinking? High, high taxes, a lot of government involvement? And I said, yeah. And they said, okay, well, let's look at those countries. That would be something like... Um, those socially democratic countries would be something like uh, northern Scandinavian countries. Japan is a lot like that. All right. Well, let's look at the GDP and the happiness and the experience of people living in Scandinavia and Japan and places like that and compare it with Somalia or wherever you think is the low government example. Right. Well, you know, what part of Central America are you picking? And it really started to rub on me. At the time, I was pissed. I didn't let it sink in right away. And I thought about it for days and days, and I realized they're fucking right. Like, everything I've always believed, I wasn't critical enough of. I accepted because it felt good. It felt right. And all of these contradictions were standing in front of me the whole time. The fact that I never thought of thinking of an actual successful example of a libertarian government couldn't. The fact that that was there the whole time and I didn't think of it, that's not because that's some genius way to talk to a libertarian. That's because I had blinders onto my own viewpoints. So those are some of my own mistakes so that you know that I'm not pretending that I am somehow immune or above this. But it's something we all do. And we also tend to do something where we demonize the other side while making excuses for our own side. We see their disagreement with us as some fundamental moral flaw in our opponent as opposed to a relatable difference of opinion. And I'll give you an example of this. And in this case, I'm going to give you the example not of me having uh, an irrational opinion, but of my side having one. I am admittedly pretty far left, but I don't necessarily identify with that. I certainly don't identify as a libertarian. So when I think of that, it's easier for me to think of individual issues that I that I really strongly agree or disagree with. And I will pick one that I, I feel incredibly strongly about, which is access to reproductive rights. I personally, as an individual, have very strong views about access to reproductive rights, both for the individual rights, which I think are inexorable, and for society's rights, because we don't want people having kids that they don't want. That's not a good thing ever. And so I think, I feel very strongly that birth control should be available to everyone. Everyone. I think abortion should be available to everyone. I believe both of those things very, very, very strongly. And at least in the abortion case, up to, to, you know, at the minimum 24 weeks, 25 weeks, up to that point where the, the fetus is not viable outside of the body, I, I actually think it's it's an issue of bodily autonomy. In the U.S., I think it's a, a 13th Amendment issue. I think you are being made a slave of that other creature. And I think it's giving, to to the point I've said before, all of the things you hear about, all the arguments you hear against it are people giving special rights to fetuses that other people don't have, that other individuals that we already consider an individual entity do not have their special pleading for the fetus because they don't actually care about the argument. They, they care about the, the result. The, my example is that if I had some kind of rare blood type and uh, somebody else had that rare blood type and they needed a, a blood transfusion, I was the only one on the in the world that could give it to them. I absolutely have a moral obligation to give it to them, but you can't make me. Meaning you have no right to hold me down and take that blood away and give it to somebody else, even if they're going to die if they don't get it. It does not matter. I have bodily autonomy. I have my own rights. And I don't think there's a single person who supports, who is quote unquote pro-life who would disagree with me. 
However, they then do special pleading and give those rights to the fetus. The fetus has the right to utilize your bodily functions without your permission and against your will, even though no other individual would have those rights. So I think at least before 24 weeks, it is frankly an issue of slavery, and I am very strong in these beliefs. However, I also think my own side makes really dumb arguments to make my point, and those really dumb arguments end up hurting our side. And the biggest one in this, in this reproductive rights one, is you will listen to people who talk about abortion. They say the reason these people are fighting abortion, they want to control women. They want to control women's bodies. And I don't know, maybe somewhere that might be true for one or two people. But for the most part, this is a self-aggrandizing, nonsensical bullshit idea, right? And it's one of these ideas where we automatically point the other side as having some kind of moral flaw. They're fundamentally bad. What they want is to control bodies. They have an evil wish. And if you think that, you're just wrong. I've met those people. I've talked to those people. I've argued with those people. You are purposely demonizing their beliefs, which again, I'm on your side, but you're purposely demonizing them and lying because that is not the reason. The reason is they are confused about ideas of life and most importantly, religion, which they take very seriously and they believe that is murder and they wish to stop murder. They are still wrong. They are still violating bodily autonomy and individual rights and the 13th Amendment, and I am going to fight those people every step of the way. But you are also wrong for making a dumb argument, and you're hurting the cause. You are. Because if you say these people want to control women's bodies as opposed to they have strong religious beliefs, then we're never going to fix the problem. If you want to fix that problem, you have to go to where it lies. Talk to them about those religious beliefs. Talk to them about why they believe what they do. Talk to them about believing that it's murder. Because if you can convince them it's not murder, I guarantee you they are going to lose the zeal to fight it. Whereas if you just imagine a fantasy land where, you know, that's because they're evil people who want to control women's bodies. Well, then there's no answer to that. You are harming the cause. But there's enough of an echo chamber that that stupid stuff gets bounced around nonstop by otherwise non-stupid people. So in closing, frankly, all of this is kind of what I love about brand new science, why I love reading new science articles every single week, why I love talking about them and, and bringing them to you guys, why I think they're so important for people to have in their everyday life. So we should do something like Science Faction where we have comedy and science so you want to listen because I think learning new scientific discoveries is incredibly important for everyone, not just researchers or students. Almost every discovery that we make in science by nature of being a new discovery lets us know we were wrong about something. But more importantly, it pushes us towards being right. That is what I love. I love getting closer to the truth, even knowing I will never hold perfectly true beliefs. Part of the fun of life is hopefully getting to the point where you progressively adopt more true beliefs and abandon more false ones. And the best way to do that is to look for your weak points, focus on them, dissect them, hold yourself accountable, be the lawyer against your own beliefs, figure out where you are wrong and abandon and in those places as quickly as possible because holding on to those beliefs harms you and people around you. It will always be really easy to point at the other side and say they are doing this wrong. And you might be right. You might be absolutely correct in saying it. But such a statement's utterly meaningless if you don't regularly and honestly do the same with yourself, your own beliefs, your party, and your side. You are wrong about a 
bunch of stuff right now. As you are listening to this, you have deeply held incorrect beliefs, ones that are probably immoral and causing a lot of damage. The faster you find those, the faster you honestly seek out those wrong things and fix them and admit you were wrong, apologize if you need to, the faster you do this, literally, the more moral and better person you are because you are taking that pain of the little ego hit that kind of hurts to say when you're wrong and you are deciding not to harm a bunch of other people by being a fucking asshole about it. The beauty of science is that we get proved wrong. And if I get proved wrong about Adnan Syed, I will announce it on my Facebook post. I will say, hey, look, the DNA came back. It's these other killers, blah, 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 blah. Again, I'm not sure we're there yet. We're at a weird period when we're, when you hear this, it might have already been settled. Right now when we're recording, it is not. But I will come out and say, listen, I this clearly became an ego thing and I had a lot of ego wrapped up in it. What I'm not gonna do is be like, well, maybe that serial killer just accidentally touched her shoes before she died. And what I would recommend is to look for points in your life where you're making just as ridiculous arguments. All right, thank you so much for joining us and come back next week for what is hopefully a normal science faction, 631. You've been listening to Science Faction. Wait, that's not right.